welcome everyone to the eighth episode of season two of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is Michael Taylor. I'm the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest. And this is Chris Maguire, the Archbishop of Banterbury himself. Welcome, Michael. Welcome. Thanks very much for that introduction. We're all strapped in. Um, that's especially for Rishi Sunak. Now, uh, in breaking news, we've both been blocked by one of the North's highest profile politicians. Now, people out there will be, uh, will be wondering who that is, and we will reveal their identity later. But we've got some uh, nice feedback to last week's episode, other than the person who blocked us. Sean Hines, Chief Executive of Manchester Central, said it was a great addition. Matt, Hatt, uh, Matt, Matt Hackett posted a lovely picture from a very wintry Worsley Golf Club, where he was listening to the podcast while marketing Stockport and now featuring Northern Spin on their website. Thank you to each and every one of you for your messages. And a big thank you as well to all our friends at What Media, in particular Charlie, who's producing this podcast for the first time. We did a short extra podcast last week at the Better Business Summit at Manchester Metropolitan University. Did a short interview with Hannah Cox, whose um, who summit it was. I thought that went really well. Chris, did you enjoy that? Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought she was excellent. Good. And... We successfully uploaded it as well, uh, thanks to the production genius that is Elliot Taylor and Elise Ellis from What Media. And we've also got some sponsors to thank, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah. Um, as well as What Media, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Oscar Technology and Lily Shipper. Now, Michael, you work as a business journalist. What's the biggest challenge when you speak to businesses? Well, in the tech sector right now, it's recruitment which is where award-winning Oscar Technology come in by providing outstanding digital and technology recruitment services. So Oscar have a reputation for building long-standing relationships with their candidates and with their clients. As well as a base in Manchester, they've got bases in London, Amsterdam and multiple offices all around the US, meaning their database of candidates and clients is growing daily. So what a time to be discussing politics and the North on the Northern Spin podcast, especially levelling up which has dominated the headlines in the last week. Chris, give us the background and tell us about which broadcast media stations you've been invited onto in the last okay. week. Okay, I will do, I will do. It's not a competition, Michael. Now, Boris Johnson, um, we all remember Boris, pushed the idea of levelling up very heavily at the 2019 election campaign in order to close the gap between rich and poor parts of the country, widely reported as a north-south argument, and it seemed to resonate in the so-called red wall seats across the north. Now, on Thursday, the government made more than 100 awards, totaling over £2 billion, £2.1 billion to be precise. Now, there's three issues there, three questions that were thrown up to me. The first one, which you'll obviously discuss, is the system of allocating grants fair? Probably not. Labour have confirmed, have compared the process to the Hunger Games. Uh, even West Midlands Conservative Mayor Andy Street called for an end of the begging bowl culture and wants decisions to be devolved to local decision makers. The second thing is, should we really get the bunting out at the news that 2.1 billion is being shared out across more than 100 projects? Well, yes and no. 2.1 million is not to be sniffed at, but set against the 13 billion pounds worth of yeah. budget cuts since 2010, it really is only one sixth of that. And finally, winners and losers. Now, according to the government's own figures, a total of 529 applications were received for levelling up fund um, grants, and just over 100 were approved. That means there's over 400 very unhappy MPs and council leaders and applicants. Now, areas like Lancashire, where Rishi Sunak was in the northwest, have done pretty well. But just over the Pennines in Leeds, all six of their bids were turned down. As a result, Rishi Sunak visited Morecambe, Accrington, and then Hartlepool on Thursday. That's the background. It was an eventful trip to Lancashire. What do you think, Michael? Well, the headline that we picked up and that we led our news coverage on last week was absolute elation in Morecambe for the Eden Project or 
I think Eden Project Morecambe, as it's now going to be known. And again, for full disclosure, this is a project that I consulted on very briefly in the last couple of years. So I briefly advised on it. I've written about it in in my journalism. So and and it's part of the world that I'm from. Um, but there was also real anger and frustration right across the north because it was a botched communications job. Leaders were finding out that they'd been unsuccessful after the announcement started dribbling out. I thought a lot of the a lot of the press releases which I dug into had a lot of mistakes in it. They were referring to Blackburn as a city in their bit, which of course it isn't because Blackburn's city status was turned down. Um, civic and political leaders across the north spend an enormous amount of time putting together these F, these these bids. F- for money, as you said. And it, it's really stricken times that they're, they're down to the bare bones of resources in trying to pull together things to build in their towns and communities. And then just to go into this game where they've got pretty much a one in five chance of success is, is pretty poor. And it's also the fact, Chris, that it's decided by civil servants based in London who probably wouldn't recognise half the places on a map if you ask them to. So it's not about impact, but it's about the priorities of a local area. Blackpool, I'll give you one example. Blackpool's getting a new college building. That's being spun as Blackpool gets a new university. Not quite, but it's really, it's, it's a real estate um, donation. It's a real estate award. It's not a serious attempt to address where there are acute skills shortages in that part of the west side of Lancashire or how a skill system can be recalibrated to address it. I'd actually take very seriously the point that Chris Bryant MP mentioned in Parliament last week when he said the system is corrupt. Not in the sense that brown envelopes of cash are changing hands between developers or councils or the government itself. Though, frankly, nothing would surprise me about this government, given some of the other shenanigans we've had going on. What do you think? Yeah, what I wanted to try and find out is that it it became a bit of a political football. Steve Rotherham, the Liverpool Metro mayor, actually used that analogy and he said, you know, the Tories always win. Um, So I looked at a piece that our friend Rob Parsons at Northern Agenda wrote and he looked at the figures across the piece and he crunched the numbers. Yorkshire got an average of £22 per head of population, the lowest total of any region outside of London. Meanwhile, the North West got £48 and the North East £41. Wales, incidentally, did best. Now, he looked at the 74 74 awards in England that can be matched to a particular constituency of which 50 are held by Tory MPs. So if you crunch those numbers, two-thirds of those constituencies that got money were Tories, uh, Tory-led. Can we, or Tory, Tory MPs, can we read anything into that, Michael? I'm not sure about the per head figures, to be honest with you. I don't necessarily know that they tell the whole story. My major unhappiness with the whole thing is, is as I said, the horrendous waste that's gone into putting these bids together. My local community where I live, Marple, it doesn't sound like it's the sort of place that deserves to be level levelled up, but it's got a crumbling Vic- Victorian swimming bath that needs replacing, a library that's probably not fit for purpose, and a perfectly good levelling up bid was put in by the team at Stockport Metropolitan Borough Council, where I used to work, Full again, full disclosure, and they came nowhere. The reason but it was could, a lot of time and effort that people put into that. The reason you can never be an MP, Michael, is because you disclose everything. That is a weakness <laughs> you've got in your system. Okay, anyway. So, like I said, the other point is... I just think it's money that's spread very, very thinly. 2.1 billion at a time. If you take that headline figure and you put it on the front page of something like the Metro, it looks like a horrendous amount of, uh, a, 
an enormous amount of money, not horrendous, mm. an enormous amount of money. At a time when they're telling the nurses, the ambulance workers are on strike this week, people who work on the railway, people who, the teachers, they're telling them there's no money. And yet they're dishing out an enormous amount of money, £2.1 billion. But actually, my argument is it's nowhere near enough to address the structural challenge of a very, very unequal, very imbalanced economy, not compared to the amounts that were invested in Germany during the um, in, in the aftermath of the fall of the Berlin Wall, where it became a national mission. This doesn't feel like a national mission. This feels like a stunt. This feels like there's an election two years away. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, so what about Rishi Sunak? So he flew into Lancashire after it was announced that Morecambe's Eden Project would be getting 50 million quid. Blackpool would be getting 40 million quid for an AI campus. Accrington's getting 20 million for its marketplace and town square. Then he headed to Hartlepool, 16.5 million for a new film production company. But he was also, Chris, a hundred pound lighter himself for not wearing his seatbelt. How do you think he did on the whole? I think he can probably afford the £100, if I'm honest. I, I think look, a lot of people have got it in for Rishi Sunak, which I think, um, um, and we'll disagree, that's, uh, I think that's a bit unfair. He was criticised for flying into Blackpool. I thought he handled that question quite well, actually. Um, the point he's making is if he uses a train on the roads, he said he won't be able to work as much as he is at the moment. Okay, so I think he put that argument to bed. Um, I think he undid a lot of the good work with a massive own goal. I mean, who advised him that it was a good idea to take a seatbelt off if indeed he was wearing a seatbelt to do a one-minute video on uh, Instagram. Terrible mistake, self-inflicted. I also think Rishi Sunak doesn't do social media very well. He comes across as very wooden. I spoke to people who were at the event, the Eden Project event in Morecambe, and he came across really well. He was there for two hours, uh, answered all the questions, much more natural. But, but a social media video is not his style. Obviously, he had to fess up. Um, hard not to when he's got a video that's been seen by millions of people. Um, I think the hope of the announcement with the levelling up was to try, and, to try and take some of the attention away from the problems of the NHS strikes, cost of living crisis, etc. Uh, Tony Blair speaks very well of this. He says that when you're the Prime Minister, there's two, there's two agendas. One way you're dealing with things day to day and one way you're trying to actually implement change. And I think all Rishi Sunak's been able to do is handle the day to day and try to steady the economy, etc, etc. This was an attempt at trying to, if you like, uh, the second agenda. And obviously, massive own goal because of the, uh, the issue with the seatbelt. Oh, Michael, Michael Gove, the levelling up minister, he was in Morecambe. Um, he he recognises that the Tories have to be seen to be doing something in the red wall seats in the north if they're not going to get hammered in the next general election, which I think they will do. Um, you know, I'm a resident of Lancashire. You're, you're from Lancashire originally, actually. How did you think Sunak did generally uh, in Lancashire, in your view? Well, hold on. I can't believe how enthusiastic you are for him and how much how much um, slack you seem to be cutting him. I, I, staggering, frankly. First of all, let's point out, this is the second time that he's been handed a fixed penalty notice. One of them was for attending and taking part in parties during lockdown, while all the rest of us were staying at home, saving lives and protecting the NHS, whereas he was having a cake and can of beer or whatever. I think... He doesn't I, drink. He doesn't drink. He, well, was whatever, given a, he was given a piece of cake. Right. Yeah. Is that is that is that your defence of him well, again? Well, I think it's a fair defence. He goes to a meeting. He, he gets took given a, piece a fixed. Of cake. He took a fixed penalty notice for being at for being at a party. Yeah. I can't believe how generous you are to him. 
Yeah. It's this good chap theory again, isn't it? You just want him to succeed. You just want the Conservatives to succeed. You, you want, want him to, to fail. You want no, him to fail. I don't want him to fail. I want the country to succeed and get out of the mess that we're in at the moment. But I can't believe how generous you've been to him. How he's this benign life force swooping in to help people. I think there are there are much bigger problems than him not not wearing a seatbelt and the photo ops that he seems to have botched. He is, as I've said on this podcast before, terrible at politics, really terrible at, re at reading it. He's got no strategy, no vision, and it's all just photo ops and silly stunts. So I raised this on BBC Radio Lancashire on Friday, that the whole levelling up discussion highlights the need for, A, these decisions need to be devolved to combined authorities and elected mayors, and that, B, areas like Lancashire, that don't have a combined authority or an elected mayor should get one, and they need to accelerate the campaign to do so. What do you think, apart from your pithy defence of Rishi Sunak? Well, I'm going to buck the trend here by agreeing with you. You know, we've been saying for years, um, you know, about the idea of devolved power and mayors. The Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, is, is known to favour a centralised system so that there isn't a Hunger Games scenario where people are bidding for, for slices of the cake. Um, I also think the need for an elected mayor in Lancashire has never been more acute. It's obvious. I mean, Sir Keir Starmer has spoken about he wants a lot more devolution if they get into power. It seems a question of when and not if. The fact that Lancashire hasn't got one is a massive omission because they're not getting the airtime that Manchester and Liverpool get. Um, I'm not an apologist for Risa Sunak, contrary to what you say. You um, completely no, are. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I spoke to a journalist who attended the event in Morecambe, as I say. And, Is this and he, one of he your looked, pals from the Daily Mail? No, no, he's not. No, he's not. He looked at his phone and because he took a video of when Rishi Sunak arrived and when he left. He was there for two hours. He spoke to everybody. He did the stuff in front of camera. He did He did the tour, the site visit. Came across really well as well. I say it's just a massive faux pas that he didn't put a seatbelt on afterwards because that's what got all the attention. Hey, you know, on the plus side, I'm making sure I check my seatbelt every time I jump in the car. Um, I spoke to... Uh, so. There's an interesting story in the Times, though, because I think the whole levelling up thing was interesting because even before the announcement, there was this piece in the Times which said that, um, you know, Tory MPs in marginal seats have been advised to use the term levelling up less by party staff. So phrases like stepping up, gauging up or enhancing communities are more preferable. Now that, I'll be honest, seems completely absurd. Yeah, completely. It's a sign of how vacuous and empty this whole thing is. It's just rhetoric to them. So you're a conservative, Chris, with a lowercase c. Can you honestly name me one thing beyond getting Brexit done that this lot have achieved in 13 years in power that in any way has made the lives of people better and that is in any way comparable to the achievements of the Labour government of 1997 to 2010? Com comparable on the level of school, building schools for the future, investing in the NHS, peace in Northern Ireland, sure start centres, gay rights. They are tangible things that anyone wanting to defend that government could say so. And I'm going to be fair and balanced now. The Thatcher government, council house sales, privatisation of nationalised industries, and the, the let's not forget Margaret Thatcher's big idea, the creation of the single European market. At least both of those governments had a vision and a central driving purpose. This lot, nothing. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, in you're not, the sense no, well, you're not meant to agree. No, 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 no. I mean, I can't. No, you're not thing to is, bow the to the is, superiority of my argument. No. You're meant to push back. No, the point is that if you look at the last 13 years, um, in terms of you can hang your hat on things that significant tangible differences benefits that they've made there are none because in a sense you look at what's happened with brexit brexit hasn't been done actually the idea that brexit's been done it hasn't yes we've had covid there have been challenges etc etc i think you do look at the 
period of uh, Labour, you know, uh, Labour power between uh, 1997 and 2010 through Rose Tinted Spectacles. I don't think Gordon Brown... Is no, I wasn't... I no, I was, Chris, that's not what I was doing. That's not what I was doing. I wasn't saying the, they achieved all these amazing things. If they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been drummed out of office. Yeah. There was a financial crisis which the Tories managed to pin on them. There was a perception that they were profligate with public money. There was the small matter of the invasion of Iraq, which went disastrously wrong. I get all of that. What I'm saying is Labour from the 97 government and the Thatcher government had a singularity of purpose that this lot are absent from. And they've been 13 years in post and they've achieved nothing. Well, this is what Labour are talking about at the moment in terms of, you know, what can you say that the Conservative Party have done? But here's the other thing. John Major's government got attacked for for being sleazy. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was did, the, yeah. the big headlines. And basically it was it was Neil Hamilton, did he or did he not ask a couple of questions on behalf of Mohammed Al Fayed? And David Meller getting his leg over with um with his with his mistress. Yeah. This lot, come on, Nadim Zahawi and what he's been up to, what well, Boris Johnson's up to, with look, I mean the headline on the Metro newspaper this Monday morning, this week. Boris Johnson, when we were all in the thick of COVID in the in the second or third lockdown, he's negotiating an eight hundred thousand pound credit facility with a guy that he appoints to be the chairman of the BBC. But but you couldn't is, make this stuff up. The thing is, the thing is, we actually agree on a lot more than 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 you might think. Um, this is why I think the whole issue of um, the whole issue of the seatbelt is a you know it's it's an irrelevance in the bigger scheme of things. I think the issue over the party chair Nadim Zahali's tax affairs is huge. Got huge implications. Um, and, and just remember, of course, that. Um, you know, when when the Prime Minister stood on the doorstep of number 10, Rishi Sunak, he said it was going to be transparency, integrity and all of the above. Well, we're not seeing a lot of that with Nadim Sahawi. So that's a big concern. The announcement over the weekend about uh, the BBC chairman, Richard Sharp, I think that's hugely damaging. The idea that he he um, created a deal or he helped the deal which enabled Boris Johnson to have this £800,000 loan facility. And then, and then Boris Johnson actually recommended him for the role of, of, of the chair of the BBC. You know, that's outrageous. These are big, big issues. And it's absolutely right that the Labour Party and everybody else calls them to account over that. I mean, you mentioned this, though, in terms of the whole Nadim Sahali business probably wouldn't have come to light, but for the blogger Dan Needle. Yeah, he's done a fantastic work. He's from a website called taxpolicy.org.uk. And through all of this, Nadim Zahawi has threatened him with libel, with, with libel threats, with uh, gagging orders, and and he's absolutely stuck to his guns. I think he's done an amazing job uh, revealing this. I think a lot of the media were also threatened with legal letters from Osborne Clark, who are Nadim Zahawi's lawyers. Some of the pedantry that he's tried to wriggle out of the accusations against him from Dan Needle have been absolutely disgraceful. He's got no place in public life after this. Chairman of the Conservative Party, a minister without portfolio in the government, he should be MP without seat if yeah. there's any justice. He 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 won't he won't hang around. He can't hang around because he's damaged goods, uh, big style. And um, I, I want to uh, mention something to you though, and I think it's quite interesting. And um, I looked at uh, Angela Rayner's Twitter account over the last week or so. I looked at um, various. MPs, I looked at Sakir Starmer's Twitter account, right, okay. Uh, and I think it's absolutely right that uh, she goes after the big the big fish. She goes after things like, you know, Nadim Zahawi and his, and his, and his tax submissions. She goes after things like Boris Johnson and uh, the Richard Sharp affair. Absolutely. But what I would say is like, Keir Starmer hasn't posted anything since Davos. He hasn't posted anything. So clearly there's a strategy there among the Labour Party where they're 
Angela Rain is a person who's taken to Twitter. Um, she's posting anything and everything. I mean, the one I thought she was a bit opportunistic, and I did generally think she was opportunistic, is that when, uh, you know, when Rishi Sunak got his fine, I mean, she posted something about, you know, that he's a total liability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't see anything from her where she talks about Labour policy. All I do is see her as an attack dog, you know, criticising everything that the Conservative Party do. You won't agree with me. You won't agree with me. That's not the point, Chris. This is politics. You're saying she's opportunistic. She's literally the deputy leader of the opposition. It's her job. Where's her policy? It's Where's abs- her policy? It's, That's Chris, her job. It's enshrined. She is Her Majesty's loyal opposition. Her job, His Majesty's, is to oppose the government. But she's right. And the media, I think, have been asleep at the wheel on a lot of this. What Sunak is a liability. He's bad at politics. And it's laughable that you're trying to deflect this and say that in some way that Angela Rayner's is at fault. I might block for you on Twitter. I might block you on Twitter, Michael, if you continue this tone of voice. Um, credit actually to the Sunday Times because they did the investigation they did. into uh, Richard Sharp. And actually, I think, in fairness, I think some members of the media, where they're investing in you know, world-class journalism. I think they're coming up to the fore here and they've done a really good job. Um, want to talk about something that's very close to your heart. I want to talk about the Labour Party. Um, so Keir Starmer went with Rachel Reeves, went to uh, Davos to the World Economic Forum while uh, Rishi Sunak was dealing with his fine in Lancashire. Good thing, bad thing? Yeah, I think it's only fair. I think Labour are positioning themselves as a government in waiting and they need to be seen to be uh, in the public eye, comfortable alongside other world leaders, comfortable alongside captains of industry, the very people who go to Davos. I think Britain's reputation internationally is in the gutter at the moment. I think that's been partly as the you know the, the humiliation of the trust era. I think Johnson has brought great discredit to the standing of this country. I think relationships with people like European leaders in particular after Brexit are rock bottom. So I think it's only right that they should go and say, in a couple of years, we very much hope to be the government of our country. We're not going to. We don't want to turn up on your doorstep and go, "Hey, we're the new government." In two years' time, I think it's right that they should be mixing with these people and building trust. Yeah, and I think, um, and I think that's what Keir Starmer's doing. The thing I think Keir Starmer's trying to avoid the, the 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 petty politics aspect of taking to Twitter every time there's an opportunity to to slag off the Conservative Party because yeah. I think he's trying to come across as a leader. Yeah, it's a uh, team effort. So the, why not let Anne do that? She's really story, good at it. She's, she's good at politics. Well, um, I say, I'm not seeing many policies. I'm just saying all I'm seeing is her having a go at everybody. A lot of it legitimately, a lot of it legitimately. Hey, we're never going to agree on that. Um, the headline in the I newspaper, EU wants Starmer to be uh, British Prime Minister. I'm not sure how that will play out domestically, but yeah, I thought it was perfectly justified. Well, it, it depends what you think about the EU. If you think that they're this devilish European socialist state determined to ruin all our lives, so we voted for Brexit, then then maybe that'll get some traction, but... You know, a lot of the people who did that are dying off now. Mm. You know, it was, after all, nearly seven years ago. And I think on that that bombshell, that lively debate, let's go to our first interval. Welcome back to the second part of the Northern Spin Podcast. Now, Michael, you've interviewed thousands of CEOs and MDs during your illustrious career. In your experience, how important is a personal assistant or an executive assistant? I'm not lying, Chris, when I say that a lot of CEOs and MDs and vice chancellors of universities couldn't function without their PA or their executive assistant. And a lot of businesses and a lot of business leaders I know really use their PA or EA as a sounding board and are a huge part of their success. 
Couldn't agree with you more, Mark, and we've not said that very often today. Um, Lily Shippen is a specialist recruitment agency for HR and business support staff with bases in Manchester and London. Lily Shippen recruit a range of roles, including from executive assistants, personal assistants, office managers, receptionists, HR business partners, and many, many more. They work with businesses of all sizes and are experts in placing exceptional people with exceptional businesses. They don't just know how to recruit HR and business support people, but they know when to recruit. So if you're an MD, CEO, or business leader in the North or elsewhere, remember the name Lily Shippen. We're delighted to have them on board as a sponsor. Thank you, Chris. Right, in a moment, we're going to, we're going to be discussing on manoeuvres, a little section where we speak about the politicians that we think are on manoeuvres. They can be, but they're not exclusively politicians. Last week, we discussed the Freeport in Teesside in the northeast and the mayor up there, Ben Houchen. We've both discovered that he's joined an illustrious club, including the journalist Alan Nixon and Owen Jones from The Guardian, in that they have blocked me on Twitter. Well, just to the benefit of the dear readers, I was in the gym on Saturday and you WhatsApped me to say I've been blocked by Ben Houchin and I thought that was mildly amusing uh, and then I checked my Twitter account and I too had been blocked by Ben yeah. Houchin and the amusing thing was the fact that neither of us actually follow Ben <laughs> Houchin, which I thought was incredible. I mean, there's a serious point here. What do you think of this? Well, I think you, you, you used the phrase in a previous podcast that he has a reputation for being a little thin-skinned. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm actually staggered. You know, an elected politician blocking journalists on his patch or who are covering his patch. We also said his evasive answers on the Freeport deals with businessmen, allies, and the death of crabs was an area of worthy scrutiny. And you've said on this podcast a few times, Ben, come on, give us an interview. You can put your point of view. But instead, he's just chosen not to play ball at all and blocked us from even finding out. Well, like I say, I mean, I've, um, you know, I'm not an apologist for Ben Houchin, you know. Um, Despite the fact he's a Tory, you are an apologist for Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not an apologist for Ben Houchin. Um, but it's worth giving like some background though, here. It's worth giving some background here, You're really here, upset, Michael. are you? Because no, you, not... like, you quite like him. I'm not, I'm not. I think he's doing some really good things in the North East. And I think he's Name got one. the ear of government. Name one. Well, I mean, people, I think he's 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 brought a lot of money into the North East. Um, he's brought a lot of investment into the Northeast. And from what he is trying his, to do. From his mates. You no, know, what he is trying to do, he's trying to move the dial of the perception of the Northeast. You look at what's happening in Darlington with the HMRC, you know, have moved hundreds of jobs there. You know, in terms of, yes, you can argue that maybe he's not quite delivering on the airport, which he wants to, but he is putting the Northeast and he is putting Teesside on the map. However, I need to talk about this. Right. So last week we spoke about him and we spoke about Tory MP Simon Clark. We mentioned him every week and Jacob Young. They've argued in the last week that a report exonerated the dredging, um, as causing the death of uh, loads and loads of crabs and crustaceans. Um, I've spoken before. I've said, you know, Ben has a lot of supporters in the Northeast. Actually, I can't call him Ben because he's blocked us. Houchin has a lot of supporters in the Northeast and he has supporters in government. However, as you mentioned there, he has a reputation for being really thin-skinned. Doesn't like to share political platforms with Labour. To block us on Twitter, I mean, what does that do to dispel the image? Um, Mr. It. Houchin. If you want to come on Northern Spin to give us your opinion, you probably have to go via Conduit because you can't message us now because you've blocked us, even though we don't follow you. But uh, that's my message to you, Mr. Houchin. Well, um, you mentioned that report that's been done by some scientists into the sea creatures' deaths in the North Sea that it has been alleged have been caused by dredging. I think that report at best is inconclusive and it certainly has scotched the theory that Ben Houchin was putting about that the deaths of those crustaceans was caused by sea algae. That has been completely scotched. But anyway, 
Right, let's move on. Last week, Chris, you asked if the M6 was the world's worst motorway, or the yeah. UK's worst, yeah. worst motorway, and you've had a response from National Highways. Yeah. What I, did they say? I am that person, Michael, who writes to National Highways, um, and they came back to me. I got two emails from them. I think it's did, important. Did you dial a Cones hotline? No, no, I didn't. I've never dialed a Cones hotline in my life. E equally, I've never phoned anybody up that says, how am I driving, when they put that thing at the back of the vehicle. Now, I think it's important to pit both sides of the story before we talk about on manoeuvres. Uh, and uh, National Highways came back to me, and they said, I'm paraphrasing because it's a big quote. We are delivering the biggest investment in the strategic road network for a generation, focusing on increasing capacity, providing more reliable journeys and improving safety along our most congested corridors like the M6 between the Midlands and the Northwest. Our program of investment in the Northwest reflects the deep desire for improved North, South and East, West, including TransPennine's connection. Um, so that's what they're saying. I drove down the M6 yesterday, had a much better journey. I'm not saying it's on the back of my complaints to National Highways. But I, I'm just picking both sides of the story. Um, I think they've sent you a cut and paste response there, mate. <laughs> no, I, think that, I think they've mugged you off, no, I think is the technical I'm just term pitting, for that. I'm just putting, uh, just for the sake of balance, something you need to work, uh, something you need as well. All right. For the sake of balance, I'm putting their, state, their, their, their comment forward. Right. So who's on manoeuvres this week? Well, we're going to have a debate, aren't we, about you know whether or not my understanding of the word on manoeuvres is the same as your definition of the term on manoeuvres. So for the benefit of our listeners, Michael and I don't always agree who's on manoeuvres, um, you know, and they don't always, as you mentioned earlier, have to be politicians as well. But what I'm seeing a lot of are Tory MPs whose entire raison d'etre, didn't think I'd use a French term there, seems to be built around being seen as the slayers of woke. Now, Jake Berry, the Rosendale and Darwin MP, Previously, very briefly, the chairman of the Conservative Party has taken a leaf out of Blackpool South MP Scott Benton's handbook by sharing an anti-woke speech from Florida governor and presidential favourite Ron DeSantis. You look at the number of Conservative MPs in marginal seats who are waxing lyrical about Ron DeSantis. However, the first person I think is on manoeuvres this week is Ashfield MP Lee Anderson, someone we've mentioned before. He says, he wasn't on Twitter actually until very recently. He started in December. He said in response to my quote, demands. Now, unlike Scott Benson and Jake Berry, I actually think Lee Anderson uses Twitter quite well. He gets a lot more engagement. He uses self-deprecation very well. He was filmed himself on the walk saying he needed to lose some lard. At least that's what people have told him on Twitter. The reason I think he's on manoeuvres is because he's been very outspoken on food banks and he's accused, uh, and this week he's been accused of using a member of his staff as a political football. He tweeted about her financial situation. Now, the MP for Ashfield shared a photograph of a woman in his office called Katie to make the point about food banks used in Britain. He wrote, Katie works for me. She is single and earns less than £30,000. She rents a room for £775 a month in central London. Her student debt, has student debt, £120 a month on travelling to work, saves money every month, goes on foreign holidays and does not need to use a food bank. Katie makes my point very well. Is Lee Anderson, Michael, on manoeuvres? Um, Lee Anderson is, is right in the sense, you are right about Lee Anderson in the sense that he is an interesting politician who is positioning himself as the spokesperson for a certain part of what I call the thick right of the Tory party. But what I don't think you understand is what we mean by on manoeuvres. He's quite clearly an attention seeker, but he's not done all of this in order to position himself as the next foreign secretary or the next levelling up secretary, unless I've missed something. You could make an argument that the thick right are chipping away at Rishi Sunak in order to undermine him and support a return of a, a populist Boris Johnson, which he supports, but I don't see it. 
One to watch, though, with these fruitcakes and closet racists and the rest of it, in, as David Cameron called UKIP, you remember, is the Reform Party, which is, I guess it's kind of UKIP 2, isn't it? UKIP 2.0. It was formed by Nigel Farage for the European elections of 2019. Its current leader is Richard Tice, who's also the partner of the loathsome Isabel Oakeshott. And they're putting together a set of populist policies about raising the tax threshold to £20,000, up from twelve. No tax at all for NHS frontline care staff. And they want to really controversially tow all the small boats and dump them back in France. Now, if Anderson or Jonathan Gullis or Andrea Jenkins joined that party and that platform, I would say that would definitely be them on manoeuvres. At the moment, I don't quite see it. Yeah, I think Lee Anderson, though, he's, I think, and MPs like Scott Benton realise that if they if they hide behind the Conservative Party, they don't think they'll engage with their electorate. So I think what Lee Anderson is trying to do is he's trying to circumvent that to engage with his electorate. Um, I think in terms of um, Richard Tice and uh, Isabel Oakeshott, I mean, I looked at some of their videos over the weekend, don't like them, then clearly they would deny any suggestion that they are quote unquote closet racist or whatever terminology is used. However, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I watched a couple of Richard Tice's videos. I thought they were absolutely loathsome. Um, now, there's somebody else we want to discuss about. Are they on manoeuvres? Okay. Okay. So have we decided that um, Lee Anderson is or isn't? Do you, do you hold to the view that he is? Well, it depends. It depends what your definition of on manoeuvres is. He's trying to manoeuvre himself into a better position. Is he trying to manoeuvre himself against Rishi Sunak? Probably not. Is he trying to galvanise that side of the party? Possibly. Yeah. What he's what he's trying to do is he's trying to he's picked a singular a singular issue at the moment, which is about food banks, and he's trying to make the point that that there's this argument that everybody's on food banks, and he's trying to say no, not everybody is on food banks. Here's a case in point: a member of my staff. That's what he's trying to say. A privately educated member of his staff doesn't go to food banks, therefore nobody should be. Is anyway. she private? Is, is Apparently, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so. Come on, second second bid for on manoeuvres. Yeah, I mean this this. I mean, I think we're going to need some therapy after this, Michael, because we're going to need to be brought back together because there's not enough love anymore. There was love at the start. Um, Oliver Coppard. Now he isn't a household name, and I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of listeners to the Northern Spin podcast, Ben Houchen, if you are listening, um, that's aimed at uh, you and everybody else out there as well. He's not a household name. Um, now he's not as well known as Andy Burnham. He's not as well known as um, Steve Rodham. He's not as well known as Ben Houchen. Um, he is the um, he is the mayor for South Yorkshire, um, whereas um, you know Andy Burnham's known as the King of the North. Oliver Coppard hasn't got that profile. By way of background, he succeeded Labour MP. Dan Jarvis into the role last May, having never served as an MP or a local councillor before, which immediately put him, I think, at a disadvantage. Um, he doesn't have the same gravitas as West Yorkshire's MP, Tracy Braven, who was previously an MP and an actress, famously appeared on Coronation Street. Now, this might sound like a small thing, what I'm going to say next. He doesn't have a blue verification tick on Twitter, nor do I. You do. I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You do. And he didn't pay for it either. Um, now, this week, um, Mr. Coppard has gone on the offensive, big style. He's hit Mayor Coppard. That. Sorry? Mayor Coppard. Call him what you will. Um, he's gone on the offensive to hit out at the Leveling Up Awards. Now, most of his tweets didn't get much traction, but the one that did was when he shared the video of Rishi Sunak in Tunbridge Wells in the garden, yeah. talking about taking funding away from deprived areas. So that's why I think uh, Oliver Coppard, depending how you define on manoeuvres, is on manoeuvres because he's trying to raise his profile, give himself a bigger platform, mm. um, and he's picked an issue just like Lee Anderson, which in this case is Leveling Up. Over to you. 
Yeah, okay. I think it's worthy of discussion. I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's interesting. Um, but I think you misunderstand fundamentally the term on manoeuvres. So I first knew Oliver when he stood as Labour's candidate against Nick Clegg in Sheffield Hallam in 2015. He did quite well, but he didn't win. And he's bided his time a little bit. He sort of fell out of love with the Labour Party, as I did, under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. But he really stepped up and eventually became the successor, as you say, to Dan Jarvis. Now, Sheffield City, let's call it for what it is, it's the Sheffield City region. It's a smaller combined authority integrating just four councils, Doncaster, Barnsley, Rotherham, and the city of Sheffield. But as you say, he doesn't have the profile and he has to raise a lot of issues in order to give himself uh, uh, more of a voice. He's done that with Doncaster Airport or whatever it was called. It used to be Finningley, didn't it? Which got closed down. Doncaster and Sheffield, wasn't it? Yeah. And the very poor deal that uh, the Sheffield, the South Yorkshire city region got out of levelling up. Now, that to me is not being on manoeuvres. That to me is him doing his job and being a politician, saying lots of stuff. Now, if you were to say that this was a power play to negotiate a wider city region deal to take in, for instance, Chesterfield out of Derbyshire into the South Yorkshire combined authority or maybe some other local authority areas, or to have the whole you know, Yorkshire combined authority as one big, big uh, mayoral combined authority. That would be him on manoeuvres. I just think he's trying to raise his profile. Yeah. But it's a very interesting discussion. How would you define the term on manoeuvres? It's when they're looking to do so. And Andy Burnham doing 12 fringe meetings at Labour Party conference, talking about things that were beyond his remit as the mayor of Greater Manchester, was interpreted as Andy being on manoeuvres for a potential Labour Party leadership bid in two years' time if Labour don't do well in the election. That's Andy positioning himself, yeah? The council that I used to work at, as we know, we've had Elise in as the... Um, she's, she's stepping down as leader. There will be other councillors looking to succeed Elise, making moves, putting motions to council, whipping up the back benches, doing campaigns. That'll be on manoeuvres. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do see what you mean. And I actually defined, I tried to, def, you know, I, before I came on today, I thought I'd look up the term on manoeuvres. Yeah. And there's different definitions of it. A manoeuvre is something to get yourself in or out of an awkward position. I would describe a manoeuvre, my my definition of it would be like a strategy. Yeah. You're trying to manoeuvre yourself into a position, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but sometime in the future where you are in an improved position. I would argue Lee Anderson and I'd argue uh, Oliver Coppard are both trying to do yeah. that, but not on the same, if you like, dark arts that you might yeah. associate with yeah. um, Boris anyway, Johnson. Well, the, the, the point is, though, is we've had the opportunity to discuss two quite interesting people involved in politics who are doing interesting things. And whether we're, whether they technically meet our definition is probably a just a moot pedantic point that I'm using to wind you up a little bit. But anyway, one person who often is cited as being on manoeuvres was the unsuccessful candidate to be the leader of the Labour Party the last time there was a leadership election, Lisa Nandy, who will be speaking in Manchester on Wednesday. So I'll have my notebook ready. I'll be at the side of the stage. I've got her book with me as well, which I'll be reading in preparation before the event to see whether she's on manoeuvres or whether she's just part of Keir Starmer's team looking to unify a very serious agenda for Labour's alternative to what the Tories are calling levelling up. And what I think is interesting as well, actually, uh, Michael Gove, the levelling up minister, he also will be at the Convention of the North on yep. Wednesday. I should be going. I don't want to listen to both of them, really. And I also want to try and just get a feel from the audience in terms of, of the two of them, which one of them do they believe? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Andy Burnham speaking at the event as well. Um, <laughs> maybe he's on manoeuvres too. Maybe, maybe they're all on manoeuvres.
And I think on that note, it's time for a quick interval. Welcome back to the third and final part of Northern Spin, the bit we sometimes call the fun bit. Last week, Chris and I hosted a special podcast at the Better Business Summit at Manchester Metropolitan University. It was actually quite good to be back on the family patch. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, enjoyed we ran it. it. Ran into a few old colleagues afterwards, uh, including my old colleague, Sam Gray, who's reviving the Metropolis uh, think tank, which I helped set up. Anyway, it was a great event and we were honoured to be invited to contribute and we'd like to do a lot more of these. So if you run a conference and you want a podcast live in a live setting, invite us along. But it, it, I thought the, the big thing that I took from the Better Business Summit is there's a real shifting of the dial on what business is here to do. Asking the question, does the existence of your business make the world a better place was a real showstopper for me. And uh, you were introduced once again to the mysteries of the clothing brand Patagonia. You're trying with that, aren't you? Yeah. But it niggles me to an extent that this agenda, sustainability, net zero, good practice, can get pushed down the agenda and the list of priorities when things get tougher economically. So my late great friend, Walter Menzies, used to describe so much of corporate social responsibility, you know, greenwashing, stuff like that, as the icing on the turd. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't for a minute suspect that of Hannah and the people who were behind the Better Business Summit. I think everyone there was very, very honourable in their intentions. I've spoken to lots of businesses recently who have got B Corp status, which is the probably gold standard, um, the gold standard for uh, sustainability, including Palatine Private Equity and One and All, a business in Stockport run by Donald Moore, a big fan of this podcast. But they do it because they mean it. And it's actually made a tangible difference to the performance of their business. Anyway, you said you enjoyed it. You enjoyed coming along. You enjoyed meeting my network. And you even said you might want to come on a fresh walks. We talk about fresh walks and, and, and lots of people who listen to podcasts are regular fresh walks um, devotees. I, I just thought it was really interesting because what I thought was nice about fresh walks is there's lots of people that I've communicated with on LinkedIn over the last, say, three years during COVID who I've not actually met. I met him in person. And there's a real camaraderie around your friends at fresh walks generally. Uh, and that sort of shone through. Really enjoyed speaking to uh, all three speakers we actually had. Um, Hannah South, fellow Southerner. She's the brainchild behind the uh, Better Business Summit. I thought she was excellent. Um, used to be the under 13s East Anglia chess champion as well she revealed um, Madeline Postman who's involved in the organisation called 1% for the Planet I thought she was really good and Erica Rushton we, we speak a lot actually about trying to make sure that we, we we get different speakers involved as well and it was great to have three female speakers she, um, Erica Rushton is delivering a £7 million expansion of Islington Mill Arts Club in Salford. What she was saying, actually, that I took out was that actually we can't wait for government. You know, we've got to take that ourselves and, and the community's got to take that themselves. Um, very impressive. Uh, lots of growing momentum behind B Corps. I mean, you mentioned Palatine Private Equity, not maybe a company you'd associate with B Corp status, but definitely but not. She's no. Doing, no. Zuto, Zuto, if they haven't already got B Corp status, they're very close to getting it as well. I think uh, I think that shone, uh, shone through. Um, one thing, I, and I try and make the point as well, is that I live in Chorley, which is 35 miles away from Manchester. It took me two hours to get to that event on uh, last week, to Wednesday or Thursday, whenever it was. Donald Moore, who you mentioned earlier, the chairman of One and All, he lives slightly further out than me. It took him two and a half hours, which is the reason why transport remains the number one problem, the number one issue for the North, in my opinion. Now... From the Better Business Summit to the next thing I'd like to talk about. I was uh, Saturday, whilst looking at the script for today, I was watching Netflix. The number one movie 
the number one movie on Netflix was The Banker Dave, loosely based around Dave Fishwick's attempts to set up a community bank in Burnley. Now, I know Dave Fishwick a little bit. I know you know him better than me. Um, Loosely based in the truth. Great feel-good movie. Um, For the sake of full disclosure, Michael, taking a leaf out of your book, I've only watched half of it. Um, (laughs) I've only watched half of it, but I have something to look forward to. Is that the equivalent of you leaving a football match? Yeah, yeah. but the difference is, is that I won't watch the remaining five minutes of a football match where I will go back and I'm looking forward to finding out what happens in Bank of Dave. Um, What's your view on the film? It's good. It's very entertaining. It's very funny. At the end of a very exhausting week uh, on Friday night, me and Rachel sat down to watch it on Netflix. And it's great because it's a business success story. I also introduced a new feature on the business desk this week, which is like a a slightly more kind of a lighthearted cultural tipping hat tip towards something good. And this was the one that I chose. And yeah, it was good. Um, but it is it doesn't bear much relation to the actual truth. I've only met Dave Fishwick once. Um, my brother-in-law, Brian, knows him quite well because he's a businessman in Colne as well. Um, but the, yeah, Def Leppard did, never did a gig at Turf Moor in Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> there was no court case. The processes involved in it were all made up. I think it was mostly shot in Leeds as well, not yeah. not London, where the action kept moving between the two. But it was very, very much set in Burnley. And the bits that made me laugh were all the interactions in and around. The, the, the people in Burnley, I thought it was really well cast. And I thought as well that um, Dave Fitt, that what's he called, Rory Kinnear, yeah. his accent was fantastic. Yeah, I Really mean, good I, actor. I watched, I watched it and I thought to myself, I thought, that Rory Kinnear... Uh, he reminds me of somebody, and I looked at him. I thought, I tell you, who he reminds me of, and then I spotted it. Roy Kinnear, who was one of my favourite actors, the late great Roy Kinnear. Yeah, I, I thought he was. Um, I thought he was excellent. Don't spoil the plot lines for me. Um, don't spoil the ending. I don't know whether or not the main characters actually do find love as well. I don't think that was a uh, close to the truth. But yeah, enjoyable, enjoyable movie. I actually think programs like that, or films like that, and also, you know, um, we've spoken about Happy Valleys, which I'm looking forward to catching up on. I think stuff like that is great for the north i really do I yeah think it's, it's the authentic north as well it's not showing the north as victims it's showing it as a people who want to get up and go and do things which i thought was really positive he's an entertaining character dave fishwick because obviously he did the channel four series bank of dave yeah and he's, he's got a shop in the middle of burnley which again plot spoiler in a way but you know you, you know you know the story of dave yeah, fishwick yeah, yeah. is not the story of the film which yeah actually don't don't bear too much relationships to each other but no, it was really good, really well done. Very funny, made me laugh, and I'm really pleased that it's number one on Netflix. Um, I, I'm not one to, um, I'm not one. To, I'm very reluctant to take praise. Always have been, and I'm not a, uh, I'm not egotistical. Far from it. But I do want to share some good news, if I may. Um, which is this: is that when we set up the Northern Spin podcast, we knew that me and you have, you know, strong, strongish personalities, um, and and there'd be a few sparks from time to time. But that's that's good for me. I'm I'm pleased with that. But what I wanted to do fundamentally was I wanted to put the North on the map, and I wanted people to come to us, myself and you, to get an opinion on the North because I'd like to think we're reasonably informed. So there was all the leveling up stuff last uh, stuff last week. Um, we both appeared on BBC Radio Lancashire on Friday. You got the morning gig. I got the uh, the, the evening afternoon gig as well. It's good fun, that show, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is good fun. Mike yeah. Stevens is such a good broadcaster. He is. Actually, not only is he a really good broadcaster as well, you know, he's very knowledgeable. And, yeah. you know, we talk a lot about the importance of journalism as well and the importance of local uh, regional radios, programmes yeah. like BBC Radio Lancashire. I mean, you know, we talk about a little bit about Liz Trust, but one of the things that really did for her was her interviews on BBC Radio Lancashire. 
um, you know, yeah. with Graham Liver and the uh, BBC Radio Leeds as well. Everywhere. And, and I went there and uh, I really enjoyed it. Anyway, on the back of that, um, I then got asked if I would do a piece on BBC Radio Scotland. No on, way. Did I did, you? yeah, yeah, on the oh, Saturday cool. morning. Yeah, and it was on the back of uh, Rishi Sunak accepting um, accepting the seatbelt fine as well. I was asked for my opinion. It's an opportunity once again to talk about Lancashire and levelling up and everything that goes with it. So, yeah, I really generally feel we are moving the dial and I generally feel that, you know, yes, we're featuring in Apple podcast charts every week, you know, and we are starting to reach new territories all the time, but we're starting to be asked for our opinions and to pit the North on the map in a good way. Now, somebody I do want to give a quick shout out to, I used to do a lot of work uh, for two years for the Rochdale Development Agency as a consultant, and I got to know Tony Lloyd pretty well. Um, he's Rochdale MP. He recently revealed his own chemotherapy after a cancer diagnosis. So I'd like to say best of luck to you, Tony. Um, you're a real champion for the North. Yeah, he's a lovely man, is Tony. A real trooper for Labour. He's been MP for Stretford. He's been um, Police and Crime Commissioner. And now, of course, the MP for Rochdale. He's, the great thing about what Tony's doing, though, he said, um, I'll still do your casework. I just have to shield myself so I don't get any infections mm -hmm. while, he's, while he's had his treatment. So lots of love to you, Tony. Get well soon. A real stalwart of Northwest public life. So that's all for the eighth episode of season two of Northern Spin. We're also on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon, we're on Google, all sorts of platforms I never even knew existed. It all helps, so tell your friends, your family, everyone. Give us a listen, press the subscribe button, follow us on Twitter at at northern underscore spin one, or you can do what some people do, which is watch us on YouTube and watch me fidget. Thank you to What Media for recording this podcast, to our new producer, Charlie, to Ellis, our sponsors, Oscar Technology, and to Lily Shippen, and to Elliot Taylor for providing the music and the technical assistance. My name's Michael Taylor. And my name, as always, is Chris McGuire.